let's uh, um, commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, pray for the presentation of the word now. I pray for myself. Uh, help me to be free from all distractions, both from outside and from within. And uh, pray that uh, the word will be given uh, faithfully uh, through the power of thy Holy Spirit. We pray that it will be received uh, by uh, those who are hearing it uh, likewise, uh, faithfully and in the power of thy Holy Spirit. Pray for anyone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus as their Saviour, whether here or watching online. We pray that uh, for the word to be convicting uh, their hearts and we pray that they will respond to that conviction uh, in saving faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you um, know from the announcement, uh, today or this week rather has been a rather uh, important week for Julie and myself. Um, for the past more than 16 years, we've had a young lady in our household and uh, we've um, had the, uh, the privilege of fostering her. Um, and uh, that was established by a court case. We did, had nothing to do with that court case. We weren't there um, 16 years ago, but uh, we were told of the decision. And um, from that point on, she was as officially known under the care of the minister that was the docs minister. Um, and so for any important decisions that had to be made, um, medical or you know travel, even outside of the state, um, because the decision was made by a New South Wales court, even traveling through the ACT. I mean, you're not in the ACT for 15 minutes when you're just driving through, but we needed uh, a visa. Now, I think some people rather consider the ACT and Canberra as foreign um, lands, um, probably very much um, disconnected with the rest of the uh, country. And, but um, nevertheless, legally, we had to get a visa from um, the, uh, the department, you know, permission to go through the ACT let alone Queensland, it was even, I mean, that's even more uh, of a foreign country. <laughs> um, but that all came to an end when she turned 18. Um, because the, um, the uh, court order was uh, to cease from that moment on. And uh, then uh, important decisions had to be made as to her uh, future security. So backtrack a few years, not even a few years, backtrack a few, uh, about a month, a year ago, and uh, the wheels started turning and um, they culminated last week in uh, the judge uh, declaring that uh, we had uh, the legal right to adopt a will. So that happened. And uh, next, oh, Monday, the Monday week, tomorrow week, 
we get to go into court again and to uh, shake hands with the judge and have happy snaps, as I call them, with the judge and receive a piece of paper that says she is now ours. Last Monday was the court case. Um, there was another party involved um, and uh, the other party had uh, their reasons that they didn't want it to proceed. Um, but when we were all there assembled, the other party wasn't there. And for nearly two hours, uh, legal people, um, the judge who wasn't there in the courtroom at the time, he was in his chamber, um, were cooling their heels, waiting. Some were making phone calls, trying to find out uh, where this one was, and others were um, going over their notes, just trying to use the time. Um, we were not required to make any sort of um, um, testimony. That had all happened. We were not required to be in the witness box. Um, if you hear me call it the dock, that's what it used to be called way, way, way back. Um, and uh, so sometimes I slip into um, old terminology. But we were not required to be there, uh, except in the courtroom. So we sat up the back and um, um, everybody else was up the front doing what they had to do. But for nearly two hours, we were waiting. So I'm sitting there looking around at my surroundings. Um, I spot a Bible on the uh, witness stand um, and uh, uh, I wasn't even allowed to approach it because that took me beyond the, the legal bar and that was getting me too close to the judge's uh, stand, to the judge's bar. And uh, I was told, you can't go that far, but um, the clerk of the court uh, was very gracious and came down and handed it to me so I could see what it was. Um, and made me even more determined that um, I wouldn't be making an oath on that because it wasn't the Bible version at all. It was a paraphrase. Um, but nevertheless, while I'm sitting there, the wheels started to turn and this sermon was born in that courtroom. I asked our legal people some questions and one of the questions I asked is, what is the role of a defence lawyer? And... Uh, you have to understand, uh, you know, we haven't, we didn't have anybody, we didn't pay for this. The agency that had been looking after us during fostering for ten, in the last ten years at least, they were paying for it. Um, but we had a crown solicitor, we had a barrister in that room, and I thought, well, anybody knows these guys will know, or these ladies, and the first response to that question was the first duty is to the court you might think a defense lawyer their first duty is to their client no their first duty is to the court they are officers of the court they cannot be a party to misleading 
the court. And if they cannot represent their client's uh, wishes faithfully, then they have to withdraw from the case. That's, that was it in a nutshell. Then I asked the question, well, what's the role of the judge? Now, some of that answer came from me and so they, they um, uh, confirmed what I was saying and some of the, what I'm about to read to you is from Wikipedia. But a judge has to be impartial. He's not a respecter of persons. He has to execute the letter of the law. Um, Wikipedia says in New South Wales, judges are appointed by the governor of New South Wales. That means the governor is the representative in New South Wales of the king. And so in a sense, the judge is appointed by the crown. Their role is to interpret the laws made by parliament and apply both statute and common law to cases while at all times remaining impartial. Judges act as referees in the court, making decisions on matters of the law and the conduct of proceedings according to strict legal rules. They also decide on the penalty if a jury decides that an accused person is guilty. Judges control the court proceedings and their directions must be followed. Now this wasn't uh, a criminal case that we were involved in. This was, you know, uh, a, uh, a matter relating to adoption. But our whole judicial system is based on the principles derived from the Bible. Our case was not a criminal one, as I said, but um, determining the role and the future of uh, one young lady, what was going to happen to her. Nevertheless, the role of judge and the lawyer would still apply. I don't know if you've ever been in court. Um, you have uh, a room and there are there's furniture set out in a certain way. At the other end of the room, the judge is elevated. Now, there's a reason for that. Because he represents the law. And the law is not to be manipulated. Okay. Um, and in a sense, he is representing the king. In previous years, he would be representing the queen. And so there is that sense of the judge being above everybody else. And it's in a physical sense and it's in a legal sense as well. He is unapproachable as the law stands and as the standard by which people within the ju jurisdiction are judged. The defence lawyer stands beside the client or sits beside the client. Okay. Um, he acts as an advocate, he or she acts as an advocate for the one who is accused of breaking the law. The lawyer's task is to represent the client fairly and truthfully with the aim of proving innocence if that is the case. Now, how does this civil institution reflect the principles of God's word and reflect how we should regard the person of Jesus Christ? The title for my message tonight 
is Jesus Christ my judge and my lawyer? Now, that's a combination that you want, to have the two combined. Almighty God, the creator of the universe, is holy. His standards for mankind, his laws, are unalterable. His law stands above all other civil laws, which should be based upon God's law and not the other way around. Our laws, what our parliament set, should be based upon the word of God. And go back a hundred years, that's exactly the way they were. They were established according to what God's word said. Breaking his law brings upon the offender God's wrath and eternal punishment. Yet we see in the Bible God's own declaration that he is love. Not just that he is a loving God, but that he is the very source of love. Okay, we've got the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, and the love of God. On one aspect, we've got the legal aspect where sin must be dealt with. And on the other side, we've got, how shall I call it, the compassionate side. How do the two meet? How can the holiness of God and the love of God be juxtaposed, to use a big word? How can God forgive man's sin without violating his holiness? That's the question. We see in Psalm 99, and we read it, The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. Verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. In Ezekiel 39, verse 7, uh, we read, So will I make my holy name known in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not let them pollute my holy name any more. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One in Israel. In Habakkuk 1.13, we read, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Now, there's a context there of what Habakkuk was saying. Um, he could see violence and, and wickedness going on in the land, and this is the land of Israel, and he's saying, Lord, you're of purer eyes than to see you know, iniquity. How can you let this be going on? Maybe some people are asking that question even today. As they look around, as they see what's going on around the world, especially at the moment, and they could be asking, how can God let this happen? In Revelation verses 4, uh, chapter 4, sorry, verse 8, and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Many, many verses can 
portray or present the fact that God is holy. You cannot approach him just any old way. And that was established in the pattern of the temple and of the tabernacle. You could not approach God just any old way. You did on the risk of death. The holiness of God is not to be trifled with. Modern man in his stupidity and ignorance and rebellion thinks that he will dictate to God what's going to happen to them. You know, um, particularly I've heard an American uh, who was, I've heard the story of an American who was asked, uh, who had been here for a while, and this was several decades ago, and he asked, what do you consider to be the difference between Australians and Americans? And immediately he just said, Australians don't have a fear of God. Whereas, go back a few decades, and uh, there was a very strong respect for God in the United States. I would say that's changing in there too nowadays. But in Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. God is not moved by man's anger or rebellion. Psalm 2.1, chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. You cannot approach God just any old way. You know, um, the, the, the foolish attitude of, of men is uh, portrayed, in, and I've had this said to me, you know, when you try to share the gospel with someone and uh, they will sometimes in their stupidity say, I don't mind going to hell, mate. All my mates from the pub will be there. It'll be a great old time. Well, they may be there, but they won't be your mates anymore. And the problem is that we're, every one of us, whether we express our rebellion in that way or whether we express it in another way, we are all sinners. And one of the worst uh, declarations you can ever hear in court is when the judge gets the hammer and goes, guilty as charged, whack. I mean, that's it. You're at the mercy of the court then. It's not just the vilest criminals who will be judged for violating God's holy law. It's also the good people. Every one of us, whether we consider ourselves to be a good person or whether we know that we're the vilest sinner that's ever lived, the drunk that's in the cutter, or uh, the, the murderer or the, the, 
the, the one that's been in jail more than he's been out of jail. Everyone has sinned against God, whether it be in the open for all to see or whether it be in the secret sins of the mind. The Bible makes it clear that we are all guilty as charged. Psalm 53 verse 3, Every one of them has gone back. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. In the book of Proverbs, the question to each and every one of us is posed. Who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from sin. And the answer to that question is no one. The depravity to which man can sink, can sink, was broadcast around the world several weeks ago. And we've all seen it. And, and um, I'm fairly confident in saying that we haven't seen even half of what happened. The vileness of what was done to fellow human beings was such that the first responders and those that charged those who were charged with identifying bodies were deeply affected some were physically sick at what they saw there were four since that time who have committed suicide and we're talking about maybe a month a little bit more there are others who have committed themselves to institute, mental institutions, so deeply affected by what man can do to man. And you would say, well, I, I would never do that. But in God's eyes, we are the same. Our rebellion to him is the same. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Isaiah 64. So we're found guilty as charged. You, me, everybody. We've sinned against a holy God. And when that sentence, when that uh, verdict is made, then it comes to the sentencing. And the sentence is handed down. Violating the law of the land has its consequences. Everything that we do has its consequences. This is necessary to maintain order and harmony within a society. Breaking the law has to be punished. Sadly, that is uh, a concept that is... Um, becoming softer and softer as we go on into uh, this so-called modern understanding world. That is why violation of laws carry penalties. It is the role and responsibility of the judge to sentence a guilty violator of the law. Sin has its consequences and God must punish sin. If he did not punish sin, he would not be righteous. And you don't want to have a God that is not righteous. You want him to be righteous. Uh, you know, we, we um, look at stuff that goes on in the world and we say, well, you know, why doesn't the government do something? Why don't they punish? You know, why isn't there justice? Um, 
if you and I demanded justice before God, we'd be in trouble. Big trouble. The punishment for sin is banishment from the presence of God for all eternity. Like I said, there are some in their ignorance who have blatant rebellion against God, but they are just showing their foolishness. There is no peace in hell. There are no mates in hell. There is no satisfaction in hell. No rest. Only unbearable loneliness and pain. And I should imagine regret as well. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth that we see in Matthew 8. And the context of that is where the Lord Jesus had commended the centurion for his faith, but he was talking about the faithlessness of those who said that they were the people of God. And he was saying, here's this Roman soldier showing more faith than you Israelites who are saying that you belong to God. Now we're talking back in the time of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me, unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All those who die in their sins will one day stand before the one against whom they have sinned. That's going to be an awful meeting because that's when people will realise that there is an eternity that they are about to enter into. Is that you? Are you in that position? Revelation 20 And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We've heard a lot about the holiness of God. We've heard a lot about the wickedness of man. But what about the love of God? Where's, where's the the lawyer part that you were talking about earlier on, the one who stands for me. What can I do about my sin? You might be asking. And the answer is nothing. There's nothing you can do about your sin. 
it is God and only God who can do something about your sin. And this is where Jesus Christ comes in. Where love and righteousness meet. God cannot forgive sin and remain righteous. And you might be thinking, well, what hope have we got? He must punish sin. Now we say he loves the sinner but hates the sin. He must punish sin. You talk to um, someone from Islam and you start to talk to them about their sin and they'll admit that they've sinned but you say, well, you know, uh, what can you do about it? And I've had a guy say to me, oh, Allah knows. Well, you better know too. But that's their, that's their palming off of that issue. They have no idea. The only way that a sinner can be forgiven is that an innocent substitute should take the punishment of the sinner in his place. God set this requirement right at the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned. God provided the substitute. They were clothed in the skins of an animal and the blood of that animal had to be shed. Thus the principle was established for a substitutionary atonement, one who would die in the place of another to pay the price for their sin. In uh, Leviticus 17, 11, it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your sin, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. The harmonization of the righteousness of God and the love of God is accomplished by one who died in our place. That's Jesus Christ. Referring to him, the Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. He died on the cross for us. Now how can he be our mediator? Well, it says in Colossians 1.20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. A defence lawyer must be true to the righteous demands of the law. We've talked about that. Hence the court. He has to be, he has to be faithful to the, to the court, as well as representing his client. Jesus satisfied all the holy requirements of God, the Father, and was able to provide forgiveness for sinful man. 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That uh, mediator, uh, the Greek word means one that acts between two parties. One who interposes to reconcile two adverse parties. How can he do that? Well, he can't be a sinner himself because otherwise he would have had to have died on the cross for his own sin. So he was sinless. 
He was representing God to man and man to God. And for that, he had to be both. God in the flesh. That's who he is. And there are people who would call themselves Christian of some sort who have trouble with that. They have trouble with Jesus Christ being God in the flesh. They'll call him the Son of God, but they won't call him God the Son. You have to be, sometimes you have to sort some people out. You have to go behind their, their uh, phrases and what they tell you. Because, um, you know, Unitarians will say, yes, Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Okay, is God the Son? No. You have to be careful with some of the people that you have on your doorstep. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Romans 5.11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. 2 Corinthians 5, and we read that, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled unto us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself not imputing their trespasses unto them. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. On the cross there was an exchange. Our sin for his righteousness, our sin was poured upon him. And that horrible moment when he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Remember Habakkuk? Thou art of purer eyes than behold evil. At that moment, the father had to turn away from the son. That's a price that we can't even fathom. That the Godhead, the father had to turn away from the son because he was filled with the sins of all mankind. You know, uh, we were talking about what happened over in, in uh, Israel and some of the first responders being physically sick. They couldn't, they couldn't bear what they were seeing. Just think about all of that millions of times multiplied and God has to look upon it. He has to turn away from it. All that was poured upon Jesus Christ at that horrible moment for you. And for me but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us when Christ when Jesus died on the cross for our sins it was God in the flesh who was sacrificed for us God gave himself to reconcile us to bring us back to him the one who was sinned against was the one who paid the penalty for the guilty ones, that they may go free. The just for the unjust. The Son of God, the Son of Man, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men 
and be crucified and the third day rise again. Luke 24 verse 7. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So Jesus Christ is our lawyer. He's our advocate. He's also our judge. He is now in heaven where he intercedes on the believer's behalf. So that's intercessory. But one day soon he will come to take his bride, the true church, to be with him in heaven, after which he will judge the nations. Acts 17.31 Because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him, that's Jesus, from the dead. Jesus is equal with God. And therefore, when we sinned, we sinned against the Godhead. We sinned against Jesus as well. And yet he was the one who paid the price for our sin. Made it possible for us to be forgiven. He took the punishment upon himself. <coughs> John 5.18 The Jews sought the more to kill him because he, Jesus, had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God with his Father was his Father, making himself equal with God. Now, there are many stories, they're all anecdotal, of judges who um, have been in the situation where their own child has come before them and they have served the, the highest penalty uh, that could be given. Their, their son or their daughter was guilty and to be faithful to the law, to fulfil their role as judge, they had to give the, the fullest penalty. And we've heard of stories where the judge at that point stands up, takes off their, their judicial robes and comes down and pays the price for whatever it was that they had just given the verdict, the sentence that they had just laid down. Now, that's all anecdotal, but that's exactly what God did. The one who died for me was the one who I had sinned against so that I wouldn't have to spend eternity in hell. How do I receive the benefit of what Christ has done for me? Well, Acts 16.31 Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. There is nothing that you can do to pay the price for your sin. But it has already been paid. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What do you do with a gift? You receive it. And it's to be, salvation is to be received by faith. Repentance is a change of heart regarding one's sin. Placing one's faith in the finished work of redemption, 
that was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus Christ is God manifested in the flesh. So when a believer will stand before the Father, it won't be for judgment for sin because the penalty has already been paid. A believer may truly say that Jesus Christ is my judge and he is also my advocate together in one. But if you've not trusted in Christ, you are outside of that relationship. You'll just face him as judge. He will be your judge. And the sentence will be guilty as charged. Without Christ as your saviour, there is only one destiny, and that is eternity in hell. I pray that that will not be uh, the case for you. I pray that you will turn to Christ. If you don't know how to do that, there are many people here who would be willing to share that with you. But there comes a point where salvation has to be yours. It's not, you can't inherit it. You don't get it by osmosis. You have to receive Jesus Christ as your own personal saviour and trust in what he did and trust in him alone. 